0: Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added 46 billion dollars to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt Consolidation Program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years. If you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order, then call 1-855-435-2066. It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together. Talking again about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to reengage in your right of American free speech. It's time for black and white. Welcome back to Black and White, and joining us today is Tom Baker, former FBI agent, and the author of the book. Show them the new book, sir. Thomas J. Baker: The Fall of What's the rest of it? The Fall of the FBI.
1: The fall of the FBI.
0: Okay. There it is. The fall of the FBI. Super. Thank you. Why did you decide to write this book?
1: Well, uh, I became concerned. Well, to to give you the long answer, Dan, I had um, been fortunate enough in my long FBI career to be involved in several historical cases. And numerous people told me you ought to write a book. Now, a lot of us always hear that, but eventually some of them meant it. Uh, And then Three or four years ago, I became very concerned about developments in the FBI. I wrote a number of op eds for the Wall Street Journal and other journals outlining my concerns and perhaps some solutions. And then I combined it into a book. So the book is really The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, My book, The Fall of the FBI, we talk about the good, the FBI, what it has done, some of the adventures that are. Tension holding the historical cases that people are interested in. The bad is injustice. I found out I didn't always believe this, but I found out there's injustice in the world. Uh, and then the ugly is what has happened, uh, beginning with the Russian collusion investigation.
0: Tom, uh, thank you for that. I I, I want to mention to you something that I have been wrestling with for a long time, and that was the FBI the head of the FBI, the attorney general, and other senior officials signed off on the FISA warrants, attesting by signature uh, under uh, perjury of a felony, uh, that the contents of this warrant application are true and verifiable. And they didn't do it once, they didn't do it two times, they didn't do it three times, they did it four times. I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just want you to understand that there are a lot of people like me that have these similar questions. How, how do you, as a, as a representative of law enforcement in the United States at the highest level, attorney general, director of the FBI, how do you falsify these documents to a, to a court and pay no penalty for lying, for perjury. How does that happen?
1: Well, what happened, uh, and and it will some of this is adjudicated, some of it won't be. Uh, what happened, I think, is more along the lines of an abuse of authority than an actual violation of the law. Although they may have been laws violated in the process, as you point out, if it, if they knowingly perjured themselves, the the FISA Act, and we can talk about. Uh, FISA, FISA, for the benefit of your listeners, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act was enacted in 1978 to uh, allow a structured judicial legal way to gather intelligence on foreign agents in this country. So there's two keys to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. One, it, it was designed only to gather intelligence, not to gather evidence. And number two, only to be used on foreigners, and that's how it was used for several decades after its enactment. What happened where the abuses started to creep in, as with so many things, were after the September 11th attack, where things were loosened up, all of a sudden Pfizer could be used on U.S. persons, U.S. persons is not only U.S. citizens, but legal resident aliens or U.S. corporations, and it's been amended and amended and loosened up since then. The original Pfizer act, which you alluded to, required the sign off from the attorney general and the director of the FBI, the both of them. Well, in those first decades of Pfizer, there were only two or 300 Pfizer applications, consequently Pfizer warrants a year. After September 11th, that jumped up to several thousand and that's the level it's still at now. And we, we know that because the Inspector General, after the Carter Page application, which I think is what you were referring to, looked right. into this, we found out that there are literally thousands of Pfizer applications being used against U.S. persons. Uh, I contend that that's an abuse. That's never how the act was intended to be used. And that is a reform that is within the power of Congress to initiate.
0: We should probably take a moment here to step back. I apologize for not doing it initially. Tell us about your career at the FBI, what you've done.
1: Okay. Well, uh, as you said in the introduction, and as it says in my book, I was in the FBI for 33 years in a variety of positions, ultimately serving abroad as a legal attache in two American embassies. In the years since I retired from the FBI, I stayed very closely engaged with them as a consultant working uh, at the... uh, Sieges Division of the FBI in West Virginia on a lot of police services. I served on the board of the Justice Credit Union, which is a credit union for DOJ and the FBI. So I, I'm very much in touch with people in the FBI, executives in the FBI today. Uh, what I tried to do in the first part of the book, uh, so the book is not all negative, uh, in the good, I talked about some historical cases and I don't put myself forward as a hero in any of them, but I had some involvement in some cases that are of historical interest. And I wanted to commit that to paper. I'm talking about things like the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan, uh, the crash of TWA 800, the ca- crash of Pan Am 103, uh, matters of that nature. Uh, I was there. I was source some of it and there's some details in the book that are not generally available elsewhere and i wanted to get that on paper for the public and for history
0: so when you published this book what happened to your relationship with the fbi
1: yeah that i wrote a book who don't like any criticism of the fbi and this is a, among current fbi people as well as people in the former aging community but for the most part Most people have been very supportive of it. Those who've taken the time to read the book have liked it. What's been particularly revealing to me, Dan, and and surprising is that over the past couple of months as I've done book signings and bookstores and book talks at a couple of venues, people have come up to me, people I don't know at all, who have retired or resigned from the FBI in the last year or two, and several people who are still FBI employees. And they told me, Tom. You have it right. It's worse than you think. And and that's alarming. And I've had spouses of current FBI agents come up to me and thank me for writing the book. So that's been good. That's been validation. That's been vindication, but also it's somewhat alarming because as I point out in the book, and as has come to light in the Durham report, uh, there's a lot of things that are infringing on our, our bill of rights, particularly on the first amendment guarantees.
0: I want to follow up what you just said there, because as I have read the the writings of some of the people that we're talking about, Comey and other people, it seems to me that the leaders in the in the alphabet, if you would, uh, organizations, FBI, CIA, and others, they come across to in my mind as deciding that they are the ultimate authority. James Comey took the power away from the attorney general to make the decision as to whether they were going to prosecute Hillary Clinton or not, when he said that, yes, she broke the law, but no decent prosecutor would would prosecute her. And so we have, it appears, a group of elitist people, none of them elected to their office by the American people, who are just trying to make decisions because they think they're the only ones that can make those decisions and they're making them with a particular bias in play. Does that concern you?
1: It it not only concerns me, I I address it in the book, Dan, and and you just described one of the key things. Uh, Comey, uh, Strzok, McCabe, all those uh, uh, miscreants of the Russian collusion investigation, they've all written books and in their books, they make no apology for the disgrace they've upon the FBI or for the disservice they've done to our country. And in part, my book is an attempt to answer their fiction.
0: So we had a situation this week, this past week, where the law enforcement organizations in our country, for some reason, couldn't find who was the owner of a package or packages of heroin that were left in the White House. And... We got conflicting stories as to whether there was a camera or wasn't a camera. We later found out that there was a camera and uh, it would be relatively easy for one of those agencies to scan the films, identify the individuals and question them to find out who, who it was. But in a very short period of time, a matter of a couple of days, the Secret Service came back and said, well... We can't find any DNA evidence, we can't find any fingerprints, we're just going to let it drop. It's hard to believe that we supposedly have the, the, in, the in the Justice Department the, the biggest and best law enforcement organization in the world, and they can't figure out how those bags of cocaine got into the White
1: House. Every, they closed that investigation in just a little more than one week, saying they couldn't find an answer, case closed everybody I've talked to, whether it's for six months, 18 months, or 24 months, to the FBI laboratory to be processed for fingerprints. I'm assuming and hoping that also the cubbyhole and the the lock and and the things around the cubby hole in which it was placed were also processed for fingerprints. The, The words that come out from the Secret Service is that there were no usable or traceable fingerprints recovered. Or uh, no DNA also. Okay, I understand the no DNA. If there's no DNA, there's no DNA. On the outside of the plastic bag, undoubtedly what was recovered was a piece of fingerprint. And that is also what most commonly happens at crime scenes. So if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'll tell you this. Usually that's recovered and set aside. And then later in the case, then you take that person's full set of fingerprints, and you compare it to the fragments, the partial prints you found, and you have definite evidence. Right. That's one thing that's been overlooked or glossed over in this whole thing. The other thing is there's a finite number of people that were in that area, uh, whether it was a few dozen or a hundred or two hundred. And you can, most of them are probably government employees or government contractors. They could all be put on the polygraph about this. They could all be drug tested. There's a lot of steps that still can be taken. Some of them are manpower intensive, but you're dealing with a finite number of people. It's not like a bag of cocaine found out on the street that anyone, of, anyone in the world could have left there. There's only so many people had access to this area. Uh, it's a disgrace. It's a law enforcement it's disgrace. A retired
0: FBI agent about what's going on at the FBI. He has a new book. Can you pick up the book for me one more time, Tom? the fall of the fbi by ted uh, tom uh, tom uh, baker and we'll be right back with the next part of our interview with him Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added $46 billion to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt, consolidation program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two-thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years if you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order then call 1-855-435-2066 or go to the- welcome back we're having a conversation with tom baker and he's written a book called uh show us again tom
1: the fall of the fbi
0: and let's see the cover there you go the Fall of the fbi Terrific. Let's continue the questioning about um, when, what was the, in your opinion, what was the turning point when the culture and the morals and the ethics of the FBI?
1: Uh, We can trace trace it back to one specific incident or episode. Uh, Bob Mueller, a lot of this goes back to Bob Mueller, uh, his cultural change at the FBI, and then it was exacerbated by the poor leadership of James Comey special counsel thing, became the director of the FBI. The attack happened on Tuesday, September 11th. On Saturday morning, following the attack, September 15th, he was summoned, George W. Bush and his national security team were hunkered down. Uh, The nation was in a crisis, no question about that. Mueller gave the report of the FBI investigation. And in the three and a half days that elapsed between that Tuesday attack and that Saturday morning, the FBI had done what it does best, investigate. And they had identified all 19 hijackers, their financing, their travel, their associates. And when Mueller was done presenting this report, George W. Bush turned to him and said, I don't care about that. I just wanna know how you're gonna prevent the next one. Mueller left that meeting bound and determined to change the culture of the FBI. And that's the word he used from a law enforcement mindset to an intelligence culture. That had bad consequences for us and our country.
0: I remember those all flashback as you were talking about them. Um,
1: and, and the key thing, Dan, is this, there's a, there's a big difference between the culture in a law enforcement organization and that in an intelligence organization. The FBI always had a counterintelligence mission. In a law enforcement agency, You work every day towards that day, when that day comes, when you're going to have to stand up in court, raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God to a set of facts, quite different than an intelligence agency that is based and deals in deceit and deception every day. And their product at the end of the day is an estimate. Some would call it a best guess. Guesses aren't allowed
0: in the courtroom. So let's go back to the, the, that onerous day. So, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just want to give you my observation. It seems to me that what you're saying, implying, or suggesting, whatever the right term is, you pick it. Bob Mueller decided he was going to be the most powerful man in the country who wasn't elected. He... He took it upon himself that he decided, he decided that he would make these changes. He didn't have to get permission from Congress. The president was basically reacting to the attack and giving him wide latitude, much like uh, Dr. Fauci got under the the Um, COVID-19. It must've been a tremendous ego trip for Bob Mueller.
1: Well, you're precisely right. And then he did a lot of specific things. And one thing he did—he pulled the management of that investigation of the September 11th attacks, which the FBI codenamed Pent Bomb for Pentagon Pennsylvania bombing. He pulled that into headquarters and ran it at, from headquarters, which many of the FBI leaders at the time opposed. Traditionally, in the FBI, cases will run from the field. Uh, there was a field office, the office of origin, that ran the case. Other offices that followed leads for them were called the auxiliary office. A a field agent was the case agent. He had a field supervisor looking over his shoulder, his or her shoulder. And then there was the agent in charge of that field office looking over their shoulder. And only then did the the supervision come from headquarters. Muller did away with all of that. He ran the pent bomb, the investigation of September 11th from headquarters. That set a bad standard under Comey. He did it again twice, they called it a headquarters special. He pulled in the Hillary Clinton email investigation, which you've mentioned already, into headquarters. And then, most dangerous of all, the Russian collusion investigation opened the case, wrote up the open communication, signed it out on a Sunday. And on that Monday, he went to London, England to conduct the first interview in this investigation. There was no levels of independent review, no levels of independent judgment. It was bound to end badly.
0: And, it's, and it has, it has uh, turned out badly for the country and our loss of individual freedoms. You said that there's the three parts of this book and one part is the, how to fix it. How do we fix the problem?
1: Okay, the, the thing is the problem is the FBI culture we get the explanation that those bad people are no longer with us. Uh, In the Russian collusion thing, Comey, Strzok, McCabe, they're all gone. But then we had the the investigation, uh, the fiasco, the investigation of the attempted kidnapping of the Michigan governor, two agents were fired over that. We have the gymnast case, two agents were let go over that. Again and again, the malefactors are let go or fired, and Christopher Ray and others say to Congress and say to the public, well, those rotten apples are gone now. When the Durham report came out, which was, is, I recommend it to all your listeners, it can be found online and can be read as 300 plus pages. John Durham, the special counsel, explained this also very well. Christopher Ray and the FBI officially has said, well, those people who were named in the Durham report, they're no longer with us. But the fact is, what they have to look at is the culture, the underlying culture. And the culture has to be restored to that of a law enforcement mentality in which the Constitution is the guardrail. And if we have the Constitution again as our guardrails, we won't get into some of these problems.
0: So are are you saying, like, for example, one of the egregious mistakes on the part of the FBI was its collusion with social media in trying to control the narrative of what was being reported to the American people. And along with that, the idea that, for example, the Hunter laptop computer was in the possession of the FBI before before the presidential election, yet they supported the contention that it was Russia interference. And when we got Mueller and we got Durham and we got all these other investigations, and found out that that wasn't true. Again, nobody paid a price for lying to the American people, and yet the stories keep coming out about how. They were abusing their power. No disrespect, I, 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 I think you almost got to, I hate to say it this way, but clean house, fire everybody and start over again.
1: Well, Dan, you, you've given two very good, very key and very important examples. The monitoring of social media, which, which may still be going on, is very well documented. And that certainly smacks of an abuse of the First Amendment, Americans' free speech had right. a task force of of special agents and analysts working with Twitter and other companies telling them to take down certain postings. That was documented in the in the Twitter files, which are available online. It was then it has then been documented in the House hearings, tried to talk around that, tried to deny it, but there's no denying it. and And that smacks of an abuse of the First Amendment concerning the Hunter Biden laptop that you mentioned. Once again, there's an example where back in December, one agent, uh, the assistant, uh, an ASAC, the assistant special agent in charge of the Washington field office, was allowed to walk out the door uh, at the end of the day on a Friday when it was discovered that he had helped deep six or slow down, slow walk the investigation of the laptop. Um, Hopefully, from what we know now, that investigation is still ongoing, but boy, it's taken a long time. But anyone who looks at that and all of that information is available to the public too. In fact, uh, one person, uh, Maria Devine of the New York Post, she wrote a book called The Laptop from Hell, which lays out everything that's in the laptop essentially, which includes Hunter Biden, not only his calendar, not only his emails, but his text messages and, and all sorts of things. And it's very damning. And it's right there for anybody to look at. And from day one almost, the FBI knew it was a genuine item. And they have very technically competent people that can analyze uh, a laptop and and get into the guts of a computer. And within days, if not hours, they knew it was genuine. Uh, And the criticism now is, and I don't really don't know how to address it, but the criticism now is they stood by while these 50 some former intelligence officers, former directors of the CIA among them, uh, were claiming that this smacks of Russian disinformation. Well, the FBI knew it wasn't disinformation. It was genuine, useful evidence of criminal activity.
0: What what do you think in terms of the report, the the Mueller report and and the criticism of the FBI, the lack of Ray to respond to to chair, the chairman of the uh, Judiciary Committee in, in answering questions about all this stuff. I mean, what's, what's going to be the outcome? What do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, in the short term, we're told that they're having him back. That's one. <laughs> um, looking back on, on his testimony two weeks ago, it was, uh, I characterize it as a missed opportunity on several levels. Number one, Ray uh, could have, And I wish to God he had he equivocated on the uh, specifically on the uh, on the First Amendment issues. Regarding the uh, the laptop and not just the laptop, excuse me, uh, regarding the uh, the monitoring of social media, Uh, he really equivocated. uh, There was one example given to him by a congresswoman from Indiana. Uh, She was quite angry. Uh, she pointed out that some of the postings that were taken down of America by that were done by Americans, that the FBI requested to be taken down. We now know it was based on requests from the Ukrainian intelligence service, which as she pointed out Congress has been brief, is totally infiltrated and penetrated by Russian agents. Zelensky, the current leader of the Ukraine recognized that he fired over 600 members of that organization. Yet on a request from this foreign service to take down postings by American citizens, the FBI did it and that's documented. And Ray tried to equivocate and make believe he didn't understand her and she got very angry. And that's all very understandable. So they're gonna have him back. He missed an opportunity to clear the air. But I must also say, frankly, that the Congress and the committee missed an opportunity as well have to be kind to them here. Congressman Jordan has tried to do this very well. It's difficult because most of the Democrats don't want to participate in examining the FBI and the DOJ, right. to talk about Trump, but not all of them. There were at least two Democrats at different points, expressed concerns and similar concerns about the monitoring of American speech. Uh, so that has to be that can and about the abuse of Pfizer. So that can be followed up on. Uh, and as a congressional committee, with only the exception of one or two of them that ask very broad questions. Most of them would zero in on one or two particular things. And that's just the nature of a congressional committee. It's imperfect, but they have brought a lot of stuff to light and uh, they're going to keep at it, it seems, and they're doing a good job in the Uh, limitations of a congressional committee.
0: Yeah, well, Tom, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, we've been speaking to uh, Tom Baker, who has a new book, The Fall of the FBI. How can people get the book? And do you have a website?
1: I have a website, thomasjbakerbook.com, thomasjbakerbook.com. The book, of course, is available on Amazon, also on Barnes & Noble.
0: Thank you for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you on again soon. And we'll be uh, right back after these messages. Thank you for joining us today, and we'd like to hear your comments or questions. So go to BWRadioNetwork.com, that's BWRadioNetwork.com, and give us your questions or comments. And thanks for joining us today.